The Nonprofit Happy Hour is a weekly look at Portland's nonprofits and do gooders with interviews, music, and documentaries. You're listening to the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X Ray FM, brought to you by the Media Institute for Social Change, a public interest media lab that works to inspire, empower, and engage emerging media producers. Learn more online at mediamakingchange.org. I'm Carly Meisberger. Today, we're talking with Margot Martin and Kieran Chase from Basic Rights Oregon. This is Phil Bussey. It's the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X-Ray FM. I am joined in the studio uh, with two two people from Basic Rights, uh, Basic Rights Oregon. Yeah. Sorry, I almost just said Basic Rights. Basic Rights Oregon. Uh, Margot Martin is the development director, and Kieran Chase is the transgender justice program manager and a Skidmore Prize winner. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> you look surprised. I, I, this is not me opening the envelope and telling you. This is old, this is old news. But a little bit, yes. We'll we'll get to the Skidmore Prize in a bit, which is um, prizes giving out to to four. Uh, individuals uh, through Willamette Week's Give Guide. But let's start with Basic Rights Oregon. Um, What does Basic Rights Oregon do? I mean, legislative is part of it, the bulk of it. I mean, that's I know Basic Rights Oregon through the legislative work that the organization has done. But you're more. Yeah, we are more. We do a lot of different work. Um, We are Oregon's statewide LGBTQ policy and advocacy organization, um, working uh, to create intersectional coalitions to advance um, work across the state that supports the livelihoods of LGBTQ folks. And that means all LGBTQ folks, which means we do a lot of work in um, immigration-based coalitions. We do a lot of work in um, sort of housing and class oriented coalitions. We are working on a number of issues and and some of that looks like legislative work. Some of it um, looks like trying to pass bills in the legislative session and some of it means working alongside campaigns to make sure that uh, pro-LGBTQ folks are getting elected to office and um, ballot measures that support our communities are getting passed at the ballot. So we do a lot of work on the the policy passing front, um, both in the legislature and uh, and at the ballot, but we also do a lot of work to make sure that once those policies get passed, that they're actually implemented well. So a bulk of my work actually involves sitting on state committees and coalitions and work groups to make sure that all the legislation that we work really hard to pass actually is implemented in a way that means that our our communities experience equity. So this is maybe not the most positive way I could ask the question, uh, but 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 let, let me let me start with and you can maybe spin it better. Um, where in those where in that work where are you seeing the most discrimination? Housing, employment, you know how does that play out, and then how does that how does Basic Rights Oregon respond? I know that's that feels like a not a positive way of thinking about it. No, I mean, I think that makes sense. I think that there are a couple of different things at play. One, I think that for most folks in the country, and, and I don't think this is um, not happening in Oregon either, is that when marriage equality passed, a lot of people looked at that as like, this is the moment. Everyone's equal. Right. Um, and it's not the case. Right. Um, there are folks that are sort of most marginalized, even within our own community. And so we focus sort of on four 
major um, items, which are racial justice, transgender justice, youth justice, and then statewide action. Um, because we're seeing folks, you know, it's not just folks that live in Portland, right? Our work is statewide. And so you're seeing folks who live in counties and towns um, that they're being discriminated against on a daily basis. Um, we're seeing BIPOC, so Black, Indigenous, and people of color um, folks within our community being discriminated against on sort of a variety of different levels. Um, it's not just kind of one identity um, that's being marginalized. And then we're seeing trans folks, obviously, overrepresented in the houseless community, overrepresented in unemployment. Um, and so what we try to do is sort of this lived and legal equality. And so Karen really covered a lot of like the legal equality. And our lived equality work is we have something called the Fair Workplace Project, where we go into businesses and organizations. And Karen's a trainer for that, so I'm sure they could speak to that a little bit better. Um, but really to create cultures at companies and places where folks are employed that aren't just sort of this stamp of approval, like, yeah, you get it, you're open to LGBTQ folks, but particularly around like trans and non-binary folks, that these companies are putting in the work to make that um, their, their place of work, right, like actually inclusive. Um, and then we run two different cohorts. Again, Kieran's in charge of one of them. Um, but one is for trans and non-binary folks specifically, and one is for queer and trans people of color specifically. Um, because the idea is that we can pass all the laws we want, but if folks aren't actually experiencing lived equality in their everyday lives, then it almost feels pointless. Let, let me see if I can, I can um, articulate this question then. Um, is the goal to have this be a non-issue? Meaning that if you go into a workplace and you are trying to put in a program of saying, hey, we're going to be inclusive, doesn't that in some ways single out a person or highlight that they are different and need to be included? Does, is that question making sense? I think so. I think I think that does make sense. And, and the reality is that and I mostly I'm a transgender person and I um, most of my work centers on working with the trans community. So that's what I can speak to most easily. Um, the fact is that when transgender folks show up in a workplace, particularly transgender women and transgender um, women of color, uh, they are singled out. Transgender people are singled out in a workplace because we live in a world that doesn't is not particularly welcoming to trans folks. And so what we found and what we know is that if a workplace is not doing specific work to address the fact that transgender people don't have access, then um, transgender people aren't able to access employment, aren't able to advance in their careers. Um, and so the work of the what Margo was mentioning, the Fair Workplace Project, is really about trying to get workplaces up to a place of competency and, and being able to be equitable in how those workplaces treat transgender people, both in the workforce, but also in terms of the clients that they accept into their offices and businesses. A lot of the Fair Workplace Project work that we do is actually with state agencies, um, making sure that folks can access places like the Oregon Employment Department and um, the DMV and all of these other state agencies that um, LGBTQ folks and particularly transgender folks need to be able to access just like everybody else, but may face barriers in trying to just even get in the door. Um, and, and both of you have talked, uh, have, have specifically pointed out, this is Basic Rights Oregon. You're doing statewide work. I, I want to talk a little bit more about that because Portland is different than Baker City. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, you know, and, I, I, and how, how does that play out? I, do, how much do you have to shift gears when you go to outside of Portland or outside of Eugene even I mean how how much how much is it a different approach when you go into some of those cities or towns that are that are maybe more rural 
So I think first um, we can kind of take it from two different sides. So I'm happy to sort of talk about the legislative work we do. So we're a state-based legislative organization, which means laws that we pass cover the entire state. Uh, the implementation of those looks a lot different, right? Absolutely. Um, in different places um, where people live. But in 2019, we passed Addie's Act, um, and it is legislation that requires every school district in the state of Oregon to have a suicidal prevention and post-pension policy in place. Prior to that, Oregon was one of three states that did not have something that was statewide and required. Um, and so, I'm sorry. Uh, no, I okay. that, I don't want to just uh, zip by that because sure. that. So, let's let's dig into that a little bit. Does that come along with funding, then, or how does the implement? Because again, it, it's, there's there is the idea, and then there's the implementation, and the implementation is requiring uh, teachers, administrations to provide certain services, which potentially means more work. Right. Yeah. And so I think. I'll take it back to a little bit where this came from and why we decided to take this Great, on. And then you. Kieran is doing a lot of work sort of on coalitions for this implementation. So in 2017, the Oregon Health Authority released some he a healthy teen survey. And it was statistics um, about a number of different factors for young folks' lives in Oregon. Um, but one of them that we found sort of most startling and hardest to sort of even comprehend um, were statistics around LGBTQ um, youth suicide rates um, in eighth graders. And so particularly trans eighth graders, um, I believe it was 40% of Trans eighth graders, Kieran, if I'm correct, it's close to forty percent. I think it may be a little bit lower than that. Have 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 attempted or thought about? Or, I mean, I, and that's that's. I'm not trying. Forty percent have not. Forty sure. percent have attempted suicide. So I want to I want to back up and say that I don't have all of the statistics sure, in my head. Um, however, what I can say is that what we saw statewide um, in those statistics is that when you looked at the, the likelihood or the experiences that transgender 8th and 11th graders actually who um, had in school around both ideation and attempt, so both thinking about suicide and attempting suicide, in comparison to the general population of students, um, likelihood to experience, experience those things, we saw a really, really sharp um, difference in that in that transgender 8th and 11th graders in this state are far, far more likely um, than their peers to attempt and to think about suicide. Yeah, and those are that's, that's just numbers and information that just makes your stomach drop. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so at the same time, um, we had a family that we were close to, uh, the Staubs, and their daughter, Addie Staub, was a trans girl um, who died by suicide. And so uh, we worked very closely with her family um, and very closely with a number of coalition partners to really say, you know what, we need something to protect these kids in this state. We need something on the books um, that people can agree on that we, you know, we see these sort of startling statistics and what are we going to do about that? And so in 2019, we passed Addie's Act um, and it passed um, unanimously. With, unanimously, yeah, with bipartisan support, which was a wild thing to see in 2019. Um, and sort of, I think that oftentimes it's very easy to sort of celebrate those wins, right? We pass legislation every two years, um, but it is the hard work of implementation that is kind of what keeps things going. And we are sort of the check and balance to make sure that things aren't going to go forward without acknowledging the LGBTQ youth are really at risk, that Native youth are really at risk, that youth in foster care are at really high risk. And so a lot of what Kieran's work has been lately has been around sort of that implementation process. Right. And so your your question was around funding. Um, and in, in the 29 legis 29 
2018 legislative session, um, there was a, a bill called the Student, Student Success Act that passed and had a, a substantial amount of funding that went toward, um, that has been allocated for youth mental health outcomes in schools. And so there is funding and, and this suicide prevention work and postvention work that these schools are being required to undertake as a part of Addie's Act has kind of been rolled into the thinking around how the funds from the Student Success Act are being used. Um, and so there is um, funding, although it's funding that's intended for many, many things, but included in the many things that funding is is going towards um, prevention, suicide prevention and postvention work has been identified as a priority. Um, and I am working with a coalition of incredible advocates all over the all over the state um, with an organization or an agency called the Alliance to Prevent Suicide, which has been sort of spearheading this work to develop sort of not sort of, to develop model um, policies and plans for these, uh, for schools to be able to to look to in, in creating their own plans for their school districts. And I'm going to ask another, I don't know why my questions are not as pointed as I'd want this <laughs> the, today, but um, is this more about outreach or is this about providing the resources for students that need uh, support? Can you tell me what you mean by outreach? Is this more about um, providing training for teachers, administration to to be able to identify uh, individuals that who who may be at risk and and uh, helping those going out to those, or is this about having the resources so that those students can come in the door? It is all of the above. So okay. the the requirement is for a comprehensive prevention and postvention and intervention plan, um, which means that that model plan, the plan that each school district needs to put into place, needs to include training for teachers and a plan around how people are going to become equipped to um, respond when they uh, have reason to believe that a student is experiencing suicidal ideation or intent. It also means that schools need to have intervention measures in place. And, and we're working, as Margot said, sort of my seat at the table has to do with, and, and Basic Rights Oregon's seat at the table has to do with making sure that the the youth who are at higher risk um, to be experiencing this are directly considered in the construction of these plans and policies, but that the schools have to have a, a, a clear plan and that there has to be training for how to respond in these situations. Kieran Chase is the Transgender Justice Program Manager and a Skidmore Prize winner. And Margot Martin is Basic Right Oregon's Development Director. We're going to take a, a music break and then come back and um, talk about each of you or some of your, your background and how you came to this work. Um, one of you want to uh, cue up a song for us? Sure, yeah. We're going to listen to a song by Brock Hampton. This is a, a boy band, a self-styled boy band. It's a queer boy band, they, uh, and they do some hip-hop music. It's introduced to me by one of my best friends. Sounds great. Spending all my life so long, waiting for me to call me. You're the only one I want by my side when I'm forced Tell me what I'm waiting for. Tell me what I'm waiting for. I know it's wrong, but we need each other. No, it's wrong, but we need each other. I move mountains on my own, don't need nobody. Yo. Share your mind when I change my life. Better start believing in myself. And we all now looking for, looking for God so we never see it in ourselves. Divine and the
ride out the back without the neighbors knowing. Pose for the picture with the pretty whites. Deadlands zooming in, catching all my strikes. Use trade drone for some money, and she gave me all I need for the night. Forty advice, morally right, but I need some advice, and I know that I'm acting foolish. Please pick me up around noonish. Half a blunt, yeah we coolin'. Push it up on all outcasts, hundred ten yeah we cruisin'. Ooh, I love you, Phil Bussey, it's the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X-Ray FM. I'm joined in the studio today uh, with two of the staff from Basic Rights Oregon, Development Director uh, Margot Martin, and with the Transgender Justice Program Manager Kieran Chase. Margot, I want to I want to uh, start talking with you about your job a bit. So you've been there a year and a half. Yep. And before that, you were with Planned Parenthood, which seems to be like you are not choosing jobs where Mitch McConnell is necessarily <laughs> going to make donations. No, he is my number one. If I had a public enemy in my head, it would be Mitch McConnell, yes. <laughs> um, you're from Pittsburgh? I am. Uh, and and I, w- the reason I want to bring that up is Pittsburgh is a city that I associate with. It's it's similar in a lot of ways to, to Portland, but it, one difference might be is that there's a lot of philanthropy there, a lot of well-known philanthropy, mm-hmm. Carnegie Hurt, uh, not her, uh, Heinz. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, how does Portland compare? Does Portland have that culture? It's not necessarily had some of that industrial wealth that Pittsburgh has. Um, how does development work in Portland compare? Sure, sure. That's actually a really great question. So I've always worked at really progressive nonprofits. My first job at a nonprofit was a Planned Parenthood in Pittsburgh, right? Um, and so that's been my career, and I... Um, you know, I love development work. I kind of stumbled into it, which is, I think, what happens to a lot of folks. You just really want to work for an organization. And then you're like, 
12 years later, you know, you're in development still. Um, but I like it, right? Because movements need money, you know, and somebody sort of has to do that. So in Pittsburgh, it was really interesting because there were less sort of progressive options, right? And so you're talking about sort of this big money and this big wealth. But um, to come out publicly in support of an organization like Planned Parenthood in Pittsburgh wasn't something that was incredibly common. The Hillmans are also a big family in Pittsburgh. Um, the Planned Parenthood that's here is going to be named after um, one of those Hillmans, a, a new health center that's being built in uh, East Portland. So I think that culturally it was very different because folks had a couple of different options. It was the ACLU, it was Planned Parenthood, and it was sort of like an LGBTQ rights organization um, and immigrant rights organizations. And those were the progressive issues. Um, so, yes, there was a ton of wealth, but you didn't see people really coming out publicly in support of some of those. Whereas in Portland, um, there are a similar, I've, I've looked into it once, a similar number of nonprofits between the two cities. Um, but the wealth is dispersed in a really different way because folks tend to be a lot more progressive here, right? And so there are a number of different options. There's not just one reproductive health organization. There's not just one LGBTQ rights organization. Um, and so in terms of community of folks who are doing the same kind of work with you, it's really amazing. And it's incredible that you get to build sort of, you're not kind of just on your own, but in terms of development, it can be a little bit more challenging, right? Because folks have in the best way, a number of different options. And I'm going to try to create a bridge here to, from our conversation about development and giving to to uh, Kieran's uh, recent Skidmore Prize. So uh, one of those avenues is Willamette Week's Give Guide, mm -hmm. uh, which which has been really fascinating to watch grow over the last 10, 15 years. Because mm -hmm. I think a point of it is they're trying to develop a culture of giving. Yes. Um, how is that working? I think it's great. I mean, they've been right. They've I've either hit or exceeded their goals every year. I'm pretty sure since it began. Mm -hmm. um, I obviously worked with it with Planned Parenthood, worked with it with Basic Rights Oregon. Um, it's pretty fascinating to see. I think they're especially effective around new donors, getting new folks to sort of join philanthropy. Um, it has been, you know, whenever you get your your sort of donor list, at times it's more than half the people who have given to you tend to be new, right? And the thought that you wouldn't have attracted those donors without something like Give Guide is sort of very fascinating and also lends you to be very appreciative of the program, right? And that there's something that's citywide that people can feel feel really proud about. And part of Willamette Week's Give Guide are the Skidmore um, prizes. And I forget the exact parameters. Under 35? I think under 36. Yeah, yeah. I okay. still have a year. Okay. Uh, um, and and uh, Kieran, you were one of the winners this year. Um, can you talk about that experience, about uh, the process of being nominated and, and then the, the process of having to present? Uh, sure. I, my, my co, my coworker Mickey actually nominated me and she's one of our, our development staff. She works closely with Margot. Um, and I've worked with her for about two and a half years and, um, she nominated me at the same time that basic rights was sort of applying for give guide for the year and working to get into it. Um, and when, when they asked me to submit an application, I was surprised because Mickey didn't tell me that she was nominating me for the Skidmore prize. And I spent a lot of time reading about it. Um, the application process is fascinating. You have to um, ask folks to write recommendations for you. So Margo here actually wrote me a recommendation, which I can, of course, directly attribute my winning the prize to Margo's um, incredible kindness and generosity. Um, and uh, a very good friend of mine wrote another recommendation. I, I think they asked for 10 essays about my experience of working in nonprofits. And that was a really incredible chance to reflect on the work. I've been at Basic Rights for, at that point, I'd been on, on staff for about two years exactly. Um, and, I, and I sort of stumbled into working in a nonprofit. It was not the path that I saw for myself as I was graduating from college. And 
um, I got, it was a great chance to reflect on why I do the work that I do, why this work matters to me, um, what sacrifices I've made to do the work that I do, what triumphs I've had, how it has shaped my relationship with my community, with the trans community, getting to work directly in this community that I'm a part of, um, I found it to be a really interesting and refreshing exercise um, that I don't get to engage in on a daily basis as I'm just running around trying to put out fires and build bridges. Um, and then and then sort of getting interviewed by the entire panel of folks at the Give Guide office um, or at the Willamette Week office, a whole panel of 10 or 15 people. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't intimidating at all uh, <laughs> to be sort of asked rapid fire questions about my work and why it matters in that context. I was so humbled to be given the Skidmore Prize this year, reading the um, profiles of all of the finalists and all of the other winners. Um, I'm just honored to be considered um, on a level with these folks who are doing such incredible work in this community. And and it seems like, uh, it, at least in the profile that Willamette Week had, uh, uh, they they singled out uh, your leadership program that you lead, the, the Catalyst. Yeah, Catalyst. Um, talk talk a little bit more about Catalyst. It's a year-long leadership program. Yes. So uh, Catalyst is a sort of one-of-its-kind, one-of-a-kind program. I actually haven't been able to find anything exactly like it currently running anywhere else in the country. Um, it's a, a year-long program, like you said, uh, it's for a cohort of folks who are leaders in the trans community um, or who are ad- aspiring leaders in the trans community. I think one of the themes that we talk about in the group is that none of us would necessarily call ourselves leaders if, if asked that question directly. But the fact that we show up in the work that we, we do and that we want to see our community thrive is puts us in a, in a role of leadership. And so uh, folks apply for the program. Um, we choose 20 people each year. Uh, we have four retreats over the course of the year where we get to be in community. And I have to say that that's one of the most magical things about this program, getting to, um, as transgender people, one of the the things that is defining about our experience is that we are very often the only person like us, the only person holding this identity in a room, um, which means showing up to work every day and not having anyone else in that space that shares this identity or showing up to school and, and having that experience. And no one in your family necessarily necessarily is going to share this experience with you. And so I'm um, getting to spend three days every couple of months surrounded by only people who share this experience is really, it's magical. It's magical and it's um, life-giving. And so we spend those retreats doing a bunch of workshops and developing skills and just sharing our experience and delighting in one another. Um, Folks take on projects over the course of the year, so some projects who advance transgender justice, and that might look like a personal project that moves forward their own experience um, and their own leadership. It might look like planning a community event. It might looking to look like um, jumping into policy advocacy work, whatever that person is moved to do, and we provide funding and support and ongoing um, help to make those projects happen. So. So, so, I mean, like you said, this is a very unique program. Mm-hmm. Where was or where is the curriculum developed? from are you i mean are, are you having to adapt from uh you know uh, uh you know probably not from like the young republican leadership handbook but 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 no you know i've never skills... taken a look at that one yeah <laughs> um but leadership skills can be transferable uh regardless of uh politics uh uh ethnic background uh economic background Definitely. Uh, And what the person wants to do, what leadership means to that person. It's actually been that question of how the curriculum gets developed is one that I've um, been working on. Mm -hmm. 
the pro, the curriculum is developed by me, um, by me and, and often someone that I'm collaborating with, um, someone that Basic Rights Oregon hires to contract with me to develop curriculum or someone else on our staff. Um, often I bring in other folks in the community, other trans leaders who are doing great work to share some of the work that they're doing and, and the skills that they've developed. Um, the curriculum is highly responsive. So every year, and this is, we're almost finished with our second year of this program, um, but each year uh, the group of folks is different. What they need is different. How they define leadership is different. Sometimes some folks in the program are looking for job skills, like resume building things and um, and interview skills. And some folks are looking for creative, figuring out ways to do creative expression. And, and others are uh, looking for facilitation experience. How do I stand in front of a room and talk about my story and, and give presentation? And when you have this really wide variety of needs and interests, it's kind of challenging to figure out a curriculum that's going to work for everyone. Um, so I do a lot of uh, direct communication with the folks in the program to ask them what they're looking for. Uh, the curriculum varies um, widely depending on the needs of the folks in the cohort. And I spend a lot of my time um, doing research and writing curriculum and adapting curriculum from other folks and um, collaborating with other leaders to figure out what is going to work best for this group. Kieran Chase is Transgender Justice Program Manager and a Skidmore Prize winner, and Margot Martin is Basic Right Oregon's Development Director. You know, uh, time has gone really fast. Uh, I feel like we just started to talk. Um, you, you both and the whole organization is uh, working on a lot of projects, mm -hmm. tackling a lot of issues, and, and moving forward agenda. So I, I thank you both for coming in today and, and just giving at least a little glimpse into it. Are there any events coming up that 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 uh, you want to plug or or the organization, how people can be supportive or engaged? Well, uh, actually, someone in the Catalyst program is uh, deeply involved with Hedwig and the Angry Inch at the uh, Portland Center Stage Armory that's showing right now. And um, Basic Rights Oregon is hosting at least one happy hour. There might be multiple of those. Yeah, there are two happy hours. It'll feature panels of folks that are not only familiar with uh, the musical, but also are going to really be talking about their gender identity and sexual orientation, particularly as it applies to presentation in sort of a musical space, which I think is pretty interesting. Um, and then we have our annual um, luncheon in April. We've briefed branded for 2020. So it's the Oregonians for Equality, um, Basic Rights Oregon Luncheon. It's on April 16th at the Oregon Convention Center. And we invite business leaders, community leaders, um, and just folks that are supportive of equality and want to sort of stand up together, particularly in this year, um, and, and sort of be in community in, in what might be a challenging uh, 2020 for all of us. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you, Phil. The Nonprofit Happy Hour is made possible by Beneficial State Bank, a certified B Corps, that holds to what it calls a triple bottom line of social justice, environmental well-being, and economic sustainability. If your organization or business is interested in underwriting our show, please email phil at mediamakingchange.org. The Nonprofit Happy Hour is a production of the Media Institute for Social Change and KXRY Radio, X-Ray FM. Our host is Phil Bussey. Our executive producer and editor is me, Carly Meisberger. Archives of past shows can be found on our SoundCloud page. Questions, comments, or ideas about the show can be sent to info at mediamakingchange.org. Thanks for tuning in.